Bibles to Genesis 17. All right, I'm reading without a microphone, but I'm up to it. Get my teacher's voice out. <laughs> Sorry, that was my fault. I bumped the microphone down. Oh, okay. Well, I'll forgive you eventually. <laughs> when Abram was 99 years old, Adonai appeared to Abram, and he said to him, I am El Shaddai. Continually walk before me, and you will be blameless. My heart's desire is to make my covenant between me and you, and then I will multiply you exceedingly much. Abram fell on his face, and God spoke with him, saying, For my part, because my covenant is with you, you will be a father of a multitude of nations. No longer will your name be Abram, but your name will be Abraham, because I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Yes, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into a nation, or into nations, and kings will come forth from you. Yes, I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your seed after you, throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant in order to be your God and your seed's God after you. I will give to you and to your seed after you the land where you are an outsider, the whole land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So we're taking a few of you a big long series, the series with Abraham. It's hard to do that without any kind of breaks for things. There's always some event or something going on. Um, and uh, so we're back to uh, our Abraham narrative, um, at least for this week, next week Yom Yeshua, then Zechariah's Bar Mitzvah, so we'll be taking some breaks here. Um, however, back to Abraham, where we last left our hero two weeks ago, uh, which was in Genesis 16, which Michael, uh, Michael preached on, that video is up on YouTube, if you, if you missed it, all the, the, the series of videos or on YouTube, they started with Rabbi Chaim. He gave the first one, he prepared the second one, then he had a stroke. Day of, just to get rid of that second one. That's what, that's what I picked up. But that's kind of what all those are on, are on YouTube right now. But last we left Abraham, or Abram, he's going to become Abraham in this chapter, um, he became a father. He was uh, 86 years old at the time, and Doing the math, that tells us that it has been 11 years since that initial calling of a week where we started with him uh, in, in chapter 12. Been 11 years since that initial initial call. And granted, you know the circumstances surrounding the birth of the son Ishmael that we saw last week were, were not probably what we were expecting. In this the story. Uh, the child was birthed from uh, from his wife's uh, slave girl, concubine, whatever we're going to call her, um, Hagar, and that caused some strife within his marriage. But looking at the text specifically, from what we knew up until that point, the promise that God had given um, all along, in terms of you know this would be a child from your flesh and all of this, um, from what we know, that. There was nothing that was said about, about Sarai, right, at the time. So our, our judgment of the situation sometimes is a lot more of us importing uh, of what we know now. Uh, the details of, of biology, the, the knowledge, the science that most likely was not known like we know now, in the sense that, well, we know there's a, there's a woman and there's an egg and there's got to be fertility of the egg and all that. It probably wasn't necessarily known all that way. It was more, woman was an incubator and it was the man who was always talking about the man's 
man's seed and the man's child and that kind of stuff. So while it may seem wrong to us, uh, really, Abraham and, and Sarai, I think they legitimately believed that they were just trying to hurdle and overcome an obstacle by doing what, what they did uh, with, with, with having the child with Hagar. And really, as Michael pointed out last week, I believe he pointed it out, or maybe he just, and I just talked about it in discussion, you don't see real condemnation even from, from God in that whole episode. Or kind of, you know, going and trying to have the child through, through Hagar. Um, therefore, I think just strictly from the text, it, it was reasonable to think that, that Ishmael was in fact that, that viable and legitimate answer to the promise that God had given Abraham about having, having an heir. And um, what we see, though, what we see in the story, and as things develop, and as we're, you know, we still have several more, there's more to the story, uh, but what we see in the story of, of Abraham's life is that he really suffered, he suffered from uh, a lack of specific information. And he suffered from as much of a lack of specific information from God as we sometimes do, I believe. Or we don't have the, the specifics when it comes to um, <clears throat> our decisions, right? In other words, when we when we make decisions, we tend to <clears throat> we tend to look at look at the options on the table, right? We, we lay them out. We look at the, the current options that we have on the table. We might consider other alternatives, things we think we can bring about, what we can do. We kind of put all those on the table. We we weigh them out, and then we decide. You know, we're, we're, we're we want a new job, for example. We we look at the options. Maybe we see another one that we want. Um, seems pretty good. Maybe we even say, any objections, God? <laughs> Nothing heard. Okay. So off I go to this new job. That's kind of, we don't have the specific uh, details, and we, we do it. Or maybe we really, we really want to get married, for example, and we say, well, what about that guy? What about her? You know? Well, she said yes uh, to this date, so I guess she's the one. You know? And we kind of, we kind of do that, right? Um, do we wait for that specificity from God, or do we just go with the, the current options on the table, or you know what our immediate interpretations of the options on the table are, or do we allow do we allow things to develop? You know, do we wait for more information when we really don't see the the apparent answers? Because sometimes things are invisible, aren't they? Um, in Romans four actually discusses a lot of the Abraham narrative. Romans 4 is actually speaking specifically about this section in Genesis 17. And in, in that, in Romans chapter 4, it says that he is our father. He who gives life to the dead and calls into existence that which does not exist. So there are things that don't exist, that don't appear, that are invisible, that God does know about it. He calls them into being. Um, but the timing, the question is when. And waiting Waiting on God's answers and waiting for unseen things uh, to take shape, that's a, that's a tough one, you know? That's a tough one. And it, but it is something that we need to develop, I think, a discipline for. And it's very easier said than done, you know? I think initially I mentioned that about time that, that wanted to look at the life of Abraham because he's a hero of the faith. I mentioned that later in the message. He's mentioned in Hebrews 11 as a, as a hero of the faith. And so certainly he is a good study of faith. But that doesn't mean that we have a, nice, a lot of nice, clean examples and models to follow in that life of faith. You know what I mean? It's one thing to look at a person and we can look at all the faithful episodes, the way that he was faithful, the way that God showed up as faithful. But we don't necessarily 
you know, had the information and the, just a simple model to follow. We hope that as we read these stories and as we see these examples of, of God coming through and, and examples of, of Abraham's faith, which we see in every episode, we hope that that just, and we hope, we pray, and the prayer is that that would percolate, those stories and those examples would percolate in you to provide you with insight and faith to hold on to. But again, not necessarily a hard and fast model to, to, to emulate. And I think it's a case in point in, in this chapter and the chapter before is that you know it's hard to incorporate what we've seen in terms of his actions necessarily as a simple guide. In other words, do we just wait on God or do we make things happen? That's kind of the, the, the thing we saw in chapter 16 for sure. You know, Do we trust completely? And, and does that preclude us necessarily stepping out on faith? Or is that presumptuous? You know, And, and I wish, maybe you're thinking, yes, do we, do we, do we? And I wish I had a nice, uh, clean answer for you that I could give you. But uh, the truth is, is that sometimes you just do need to step out. You know, In other words, there are times when God is waiting for you to make that move. Um, and... There are other times that you can end up getting ahead of God, just like we saw in the case of Ishmael. So, it can be a tough call. I'm not going to give you a simple a simple answer. I don't think there is one. This is a life of faith that we are looking at, and ours is a life of faith also. Um, and at the end of the day, these stories in Scripture do give the overall principle that you know God still gets His plan accomplished. I think that's what we do see, above all the other questions and are we created? Do we step out? How do we know if we're ahead of God? How do we know if we're, you know, God's waiting on us? I think, regardless, separate from all that, we do have the picture uh, and the principle that God does get his plans accomplished. And, at least, in, in this case, when we're looking at Abraham's life, other than the situations where there's outright, you know, just digging in disobedience and, and, and resistance to God, other than cases like that, that he is faithful to get his plans done, and he is faithful to make his plans known. I think we see that from, from these stories. And that we can trust that it is his ultimate aim and his desire to, to bless and to bring about shalom, because that is the, the thread that I think we see throughout the entire narrative here uh, with Abram. And, and that's what we see um, at the outset of this chapter. You know, when, when Abram did in fact get ahead of God's plans for him, uh, having taken that action and having uh, had Ishmael and everything, um, we see that God does kind of get things back on track. He does reveal more information. He does still work on his same plan. Uh, we realize, we see that, you know what, yes, you, you did that with, with Hagar and you listened to Sarai and all this. Uh, it wasn't the worst thing in the world, but it was ultimately not God's plan. And so God didn't condemn him. But he did provide him with, with, um, with some, uh, I guess, some more specifics, some more specificity. So, let's step back. I want to step back and look at some of the, the bite-sized pieces of Chapter 17, some of some information and some application if you want to follow along in Chapter 17. So I'm going to go beyond what was read today. Really, this is a, another chunk looking at this entire, uh, this entire chapter. And I'll go over what happens after what was read. Basically, we have the... You know, God had said, these are all the things I'm going to do. Then he said, here's what you need to do. He talks about circumcision. I spent some time talking about that. And then we see what Abraham's reaction is to, to those words uh, from God about uh, circumcision and, and his, his end of the bargain, if you will. So, chapter 17, we see in verse 1, uh, Abraham was, was 99 years old. Uh, I said before he had a child at 86, but we know that now at 99, 
Uh, this is a full 27 years after his call from God. And at this point, Ishmael now is 13 years old. So again, I think from Abram's perspective, it's pretty reasonable to think that he felt he was just cruising along at this point. He had, he had a son. He was 13 years old. Things were progressing, just like he thought they should, should. He wasn't, if you remember weeks back, he was very consumed with no matter how good things went. All he could think about was that one thing he didn't have, which was the, was the child. Well, now he's got that child. I don't believe he's thinking that way anymore. He's just cruising along, um, and he thinks that's what's, that everything's good. And here comes God to enlighten him a little bit. And this is the first uh, first case, his written case of, of the name El Shaddai in Scripture. Um, you'll see that uh, your motion translations probably just say El Shaddai. And the, the basic meaning of God Almighty is fine. Uh, there are some other thoughts behind what the word means. Um, it can mean uh, like supplication or God of provision. It can come from a word that means breast or mountain, God of the mountain, God who gives you your desires and so forth. It's primarily used a lot in the book of Job. There's a lot of instances in, in, in the Torah as well, a few other places in Scripture. But in general, God Almighty is fine. Uh, it's a very common, commonly used symbol in Judaism. At the end of the service, when you give your rod benediction, you've often, some people say, what are you giving the Spock sign for? You know, you, know, you look that up, this is not the Spock, this, is, this actually came first from, you know, the morning was due, he said this came from the synagogue, when I was a kid. Uh, but this is, this is the letter Sheen, this is the Hebrew letter Sheen, and it's sort of signified God Almighty. You have on, on the Zuzas quite often, so that's where you see, where you see the, the Sheen, and that's, this is the first first instance where we see that, that word, letting him know who he is. Um, and uh, he then gives an, an imperative, which is a command. He says, walk before me and be blameless. Okay? These are pretty general information. Walk before me and be blameless. What's that about? But I think it's important that you consider what he's talking about there, walk before me, uh, because whatever that activity is, and whatever God's getting at there, uh, this behavior triggers the language that comes after it, which is that desire language, the same language that we saw in Genesis 12. In other words, if you do this, you know, uh, my desire is to establish my covenant. My desire is to multiply you exceedingly. All of these big, over-the-top words. It's like, if you read it in Hebrew, it's like, I want to do this to you. You're going to be fruitful, fruitful, fruitful much. You're going to be much, much. I mean, it's all these, these very big words. So it's important to consider what this means to, to walk before, before God. Um, the word there, walk, uh, is just a, a basic word. It just means to go back and forth, to and fro, go about your business. Uh, but the key, I think, are the qualifiers that you see, the descriptors about walking. Uh, number one, that you are to walk, and you are to do that uh, in front of. It says in front of me, if not, in front of God. And you are to be whole. And yet, I mean, to be whole, complete, normal. Uh, I may disagree with my personal translation was just be a dude or just be a dude. Yeah, is the way I you know, they put personal translation. You know, read a lot of these commentaries. The personal translation is showing off. Well, that is mine. That's my personal translation. So just walk, be a dude, be a dude. That you know, um, it works good. Okay. Uh, you know, when I when I was a child, uh, when I was a kid, I remember being at home. I'd be home. Uh, around you know, 5 or 6 o'clock, I'd be watching TV or playing video games, and then I would hear it. I would hear the garage door go up. Well, back in those days, actually, I'd hear the horn knock, the horn blast, which means I better get up and go open the garage door. <laughs> <laughs> I'd that easy. I'd just push a button and the door goes up. But I would, 
and throw it out there. But all of a sudden, that horn or hearing the door go up, uh, you know, up until then I was just going about my business, you know. But that, that, that noise, that change in things there uh, got my attention, sprung me into action because what that meant was my dad was home, okay? And so the thoughts started coming in. You know, what have I done? <laughs> what have I not done? <laughs> what was I supposed to do? You know, all these kind of things. What should I be doing at this moment, you know? Um, whatever I had been doing, whatever I had done, whatever was going on at that moment uh, was going to be seen by, by my dad. There was, no, there was no hiding. So, you know, I was thinking, am I in good standing? Um, am I doing what I should be doing? And, you know, when we walk before him, right? When we walk before God, the fact is we're out in the open. That's kind of what that means. You know, we're face to face with the Father. Hebrews uh, chapter 4, 13 says that everything is uncovered and laid bare before the one to whom you must give account. And as you live out your life before God, as you go to and fro, do you have reason to panic? Do you have reason to run, reason to worry about what you've done or what you haven't done or what you should have done? You know, do you? Um, or are you being that other word that we see in the text? Are you being tamim? Are you being yourself? Are you whole, complete, unobjectionable? Are you just being a dude? Are you just being a dudette? Is that what you're doing? You know? And the fact is that God, that makes God happy. That's what we see here. That he wants to bless that behavior. As we see in verse 2, he wants to have that covenant with you, that one-on-one -on -one covenant as you live out your life before him, as you walk before him. There's not a necessarily a religious time like this morning, as he's watching this morning, I'm in the right place. There's not a religious time and a non-religious time in our lives. The fact is, is that you walk before him all the time. And as we learn also from the book of Hebrews, it's not really a be careful, big brother is watching kind of thing. That's not the point I'm trying to make. But as Hebrews 11 also makes that same point um, you know, about things being uncovered and laid bare, the follow-up to those verses, if you read the full context, is that you can do that, you can feel comfortable in that respect because we have a high priest, we have Yeshua, who is like us in every way without sin, and therefore he understands us, the normal us, you know, he lived a regular life as a, as a dude in this, in this case, um, and therefore the text talks about resting in him, receiving his mercy, finding grace in your time of need. So walking before him and being complete and whole and normal is, uh, is, is what we learned at the beginning of this, this chapter. Um, as the chapter goes on, verses 3 through 8 is more uh, reinforcement and restatement uh, of those promises of God that we've been talking about, that we've, we've been seeing over the years, that God's been talking to Abram about for years, talking about being uh, exceedingly fruitful again, that multiple nations are going to come from you. And, uh, and now along with all of that, we see this name change. So I can flip flopping back and forth. Now it's Abraham. Uh, he says he goes from, from Avram, exalted father, to Avraham, uh, father of, of a multitude or many nations. And, uh, and now Abraham's, Abraham's hearing about all of these things, about being, you know, exceedingly multiplied. He's hearing about kings coming from him. Now, he had known about kings, seeing other nations and so forth. But this guy's got maybe a couple hundred people in his little group. And the thought of it, think about the, the high thoughts here. I mean, I've got a couple hundred people. We don't need... 
you know, either king necessarily at this point. In Israel, you know, these people didn't have any model for this at all. So it's a big, uh, God was really setting him up with a name that would represent the future for him. And, you know, names are, um, at least in our society, you know, when someone has a nickname or something, it usually has something to do with what they've done, right? Um, I thought about, uh, I don't agree with this nickname that I had in, in high school at one point. But, um, <laughs> he called me the butcher. <laughs> that was a basketball. It was a basketball reference. I, I would get a few fouls. I would get a few fouls from time to time. I, were, I was chopping and hacking. I never fouled out or anything. But in any event, I'm a butcher. So the point is, it had to do with something I did. But in my wife's culture, you know, they, they name your name is stuck if something happens to you one time. You know, one of the uncles one time tripped down the stairs forever. He's tripping uncle, and everyone knows who tripping uncle is because he's the one that tripped. That's just. The point is, you know, this is just how it works. It's based on something that you did. You know, you call somebody based on something that they did. Um, but in Genesis 17.5, when, when um, it's very different in this case. When, when God says, you know, you're not going to be called anymore by the name Abraham, but your name shall be the father of multitude, multitude of nations. And in the very last part of that phrase uh, in Hebrew literally says, uh, multitude of nations I will give you. In other words, God, God will give in the name. He says, for a more literal translation, and this is not one of my goofy translations, but for a father of many nations, I will, I will give to you. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give it to you. And I think this should change our perspective on things. You know, in other words, whatever it is that you see, whatever it is that you see in your life and you see in the life of others, really, it's really because of what God has done. It's not a, it's because of what God has given. It's not because of what you've done or what that person has done or anything. And so, as the text goes on, now this is after what was read today. Like I said, there's a whole thing here where where God talks about, he says to Abram, you know, this is all the stuff I'm going to do as for you and your seed. And then he goes into talking, all the use there turn into, just not all the use, start talking plural. Talking, now this extends beyond you. He says you need to you need to practice this, this, uh, this act of circumcision. Okay? You, everybody you ever purchased for money, uh, anybody that's in your household, anyone you purchased for money that then has been born in your household, and then beginning, you know, everybody eight days and eight days and older will be circumcised. Um, we could delve into circumcision, looking at all, and there's a lot of references in the in the Tanakh. There's a lot of references uh, in the New Testament as well. Uh, but in lieu of that, I want to give you some some bullet points and some thoughts about all of this. Um, because as with, there's lots of debates, lots of questions, even in secular society about circumcision, it's a, you know, uh, debated and discussed. Some now go with, you know, kind of like what we see with kosher laws sometimes. Sometimes people will, will try to explain and, 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 and uh, interpret kosher laws based on the fact, or based on uh, health reasons, health benefits, right? Uh, and they'll do the same with circumcision. In other words, you know, the purpose of it was for, for cleanliness, or they'll talk about that you know, eight days old, uh, that's when the vitamin K is the highest. I think there's some connection there, and also after the time of impurity from a woman, after seven days from the boy, then she's there for the bris, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but the cleanliness is an issue. There's been studies that talk about uh, Jewish women have a lower incidence of cervical cancer and the HPV virus, and they even look at that and say that beyond Jewish people, just people that have circumcised partners, all this kind of stuff. Um, 
But, you know, there's not immunity, and I don't believe that fully explains, just like with kosher, there are reasons that go beyond practical ones and beyond health reasons. Um, this is a big segment. He spends a bunch of verses here, five, six verses and more, just here, let alone elsewhere in Scripture. So it goes beyond that. Um, you also might hear in believing circles that people will say that, you know, circumcision, not only is it no longer needed, it's been replaced by immersion, replaced by baptism. That's the New Testament circumcision, as we often hear that. Um, and I want to tell you that, you know, baptism is not the New Testament equivalent uh, of circumcision. Nowhere in the Bible does that equation make. Um, you do see comparisons. You will see some comparisons uh, of, of circumcision and baptism. And those are taking concepts, but they're not talking about replacements for equation. Okay? At best, it's, it's, it's used for relative comparison purposes. You can read uh, in Colossians, I think it's chapter 2 or 3 that discusses that. Uh, Paul uses it as a... Uh, as a comparison. Um, immersion is something completely separate. That's a, a right that those who have believed in Yeshua make a public profession of that and a showing uh, by immersion. Um, it's a testimony to their faith. It's open. It's public. Circumcision uh, is more of a sign to the person and to God. It's not something that's outwardly obvious um, at some point, right? Um, and Paul has a very simple, I think, rabbinic and Pharisaic principle uh, about all this kind of stuff. In 1 Corinthians 17, he says that, you know, remain as you are called. He says if you're circumcised, you remain circumcised. If you're uncircumcised, you remain uncircumcised. Jews should stay Jews. Nations should stay nations. But both are to be unified in their worship of the Lord. That's the, that's the bigger principle. Um, there's lots more to say about that. But understand... Also, that circumcision here was a common practice in the ancient Near East. This is not something brand new that's being brought up here. Uh, you read about circumcision uh, when it comes to uh, rites of puberty, rites of, of adulthood, uh, prior to marriage. There's even rabbinic thought, even post-biblical rabbinic thought about things with regard to, um, to circumcision beyond the, the, the scriptural stuff. And so, God was not necessarily making something brand new, something unheard of. He was taking a very known social practice, a very known sociological practice, and adapting it to this now very unique theological um, position. And it's kind of like saying when we saw the splitting of the animals in Genesis 15. This was not something brand new. This was something that had been seen already, but it was being used for a very specific purpose. And the big picture... Again, I would like to zoom out the big picture, because you can really get, get lost in the reads there, um, is that circumcision was a way that Abraham and his clan were to be marked by God. That, that's undisputable. Okay? Um, nowadays, we still, Messianic Judaism, of course, traditional Judaism as well, encourage Jewish boys to become circumcised for that reason, okay? a very specific cultural reason. Uh, it does not confer Jewishness on somebody. We've had people sometimes will talk about, you know, well, I still circumcised, and we try to connect them with someone, but we want to find out they're not becoming Jewish. You understand? This is not a thing about. Be, this is the, this is a different kind of a thing. Um, although Judaism does it uh, when they do conversion, that's you know, a whole other a whole other topic. Um, but it's a sign of God's covenant. It's identification with the Jewish people, especially if you are Jewish, and it is a mark. It is a sign. And uh, however, there are as many just as important, if not more important, ways for people, for believers, to be specifically marked by, by God. And that's an important concept to consider. First John uh, chapter 3 talks about 
our relationship by God should be, we should be marked in the sense that we're seen in our love for one another. You know, we're marked uh, in the sense that, you know, as we say every week, you know, if you love me, keep my commandments, and our obedience, okay? These are ways that, that, uh, that God marks, or we should be marked by God. And our responses to God, whether they be circumcision, love, or obedience, these are not the conditions or the requirements of our salvation. Okay? But they are the expected outward signs of our recognition of being part of God's covenant people. So on the circumcision side of things, don't lose too much sleep over all this, okay? If you're having a baby boy, or if you're having a, a baby boy grandson, or something like that, or then there's the female version of the dedication, so forth, and if you're, 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 don't lose sleep about it. We can talk about it at that time, and work some of, through some of those things at that time. But don't get sort of sucked into the, 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 the minutia, the details. Or see the bigger picture that's about the idea of being marked, and, and what this is all about, Okay? Um, and really, in, this, in the text here, the, the bigger point is that this was a decision point for Abraham. And we'll all, we'll all have decision points in our life. And this was one for Abraham. This was a decision point. God was asking for a very specific action to take place on his part. And the ramifications were significant. You read further down, actually in verse uh, 14, it doesn't uh, come out as much in the English, uh, but basically the Hebrew says, cut or be cut is what it says. You're either going to either cut or you're going to be cut off. We have English that says cut off, but the Hebrew says circumcised, but the same word. So you're going to cut or be cut off. It's, very, it's a very big decision right there that's laid out in verse 14. So that's the, the big picture, is that the big decision, there's a big decision point for Abraham here. And then uh, going on, verses 15 and 16, God brings things even more into focus by giving Sarai her new name. I told you I'm going to say Sarai so many times. What is she? Is she still there? We had a Sarai with us today, so she's going to hear me call her name. Um, but uh, he, he gives her the name of Sarah, explains that Abraham's going to have the son through her, so that's the real specific part there where Abraham realizes, okay, it's not a hmm. So, what's Abraham's response to all this? Recap for just a moment. Remember, he's 99, okay? God's promising even more children, multiple nations, kings. The land he's been living in as a stranger for 27 years is going to all be his. All you need to do is this. Now here's the deal, Cat Baby. Here's all you need to do. Is what he says. <laughs> you just need to uh, convince all these guys around here to you know, circumcise themselves. And, uh, and then everyone else, you know, continually, uh, their kids from the rape, when they're eight days old and, and so forth. Oh, yeah, and also believe that Sarah, your old wife, who's not just old, but has been proven to sort of not, you know, be infertile and barren all of these years, she's now going to get pregnant and have a son. That's all. So how's that sound, Abraham? <laughs> Verse 17. <laughs> he fell on his face. Initially, earlier in the chapter, he fell on his face when he, when he had this experience with God. Now he, he fell down laughing. People want to argue what this, this means, maybe some other, we can spin it some other way. But I think it's pretty clear. He was very straightforward. He fell down and he eats cock. I don't know what eats cock means. Laughed. There's a little bit of foreshadowing there. He fell down and he eats cock. A little bit of uh, ironic foreshadowing. He laughed at God. He said, You're going to laugh, are you? Every day you're going to say, You're going to eat cock. You're going to say the name every day uh, here soon enough. Um, not only did he laugh, he spoke up and he said, You know what? Can we do this plan with Ishmael? 
Okay? I mean, this would be a whole lot easier to understand if we worked with my existing 13-year-old instead of thinking all this other stuff's going to happen. You know? Yeah, I think, frankly, Abraham is a uh, pretty relatable character for us, at least for me. Uh, maybe I would think he's pretty relatable for us. You know, he's got faith, right? He's very dutiful, but he's also very pragmatic, you know? All along, chapter 12, he's faithful, right? I'll go, you know? But he's pragmatic. Chapter 15, how about Eliezer? Because, uh, you know, I don't even have a child at all, you know? And even now, I believe you in all this stuff, but... The Ishmael part, I mean, the, 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 can we just use Ishmael, you know? So I think he's a very relatable character. But God ultimately says, no, not your way, but my way, and it will be in my time. Verse 21, he says, this is when this is going to happen. He says, it's going to happen up here next year at, at the appointed time. Uh, the Hebrew there is the one we're probably all familiar with. It's Moed. He said, this will happen, La Moed Hazet. But I say, what time are we going to lunch today? La Moed Hazet. What time is that? You know, if you learn how to tell time in, in Hebrew, there's no, there's no number there. I didn't say 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. I said, at, at the appointed time. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. It does say at the appointed time next year. It gives a little bit of detail. But La Moen Hazet is when it's going to happen. And uh, so all that stuff, there's a lot of stuff that Abraham's taking in there. Do your circumstances limit the promises of God? No, nobody ever says no, I'm sure. Your, your circumstances limit the promises of God. Do your circumstances limit your ability to believe the promises of God? You know, this is one of these things we say usually yes and no. Yes and no. I want to say no and maybe to those two questions. No, your circumstances do not limit the promises of God. But maybe, more likely yes, uh, your circumstances make it real tough sometimes, uh, a lot of times, to believe the promises of God. Yeah, we'll know it. Yes. <laughs> but don't forget, number one, don't, don't forget that first one, that your circumstances, your external circumstances, uh, cannot really limit God. Your faith can, and your faith will, but that, that can be overcome. That can be, that can, that's something that can change. Um, that see your faith can grow. And as we move on, as we finish, we see here, now after all of this, remember, this is, you know, I've laid all this stuff out. Here's the amazing promises. I've changed your name. You have to circumcise everybody, of course. Uh, your wife's name is going to change. He laughs. going to be Ishmael. But here's again where we see um, Abraham's faith. Just like we saw in chapter 12. The moment of faith for Abraham is when God said, leave your people, leave your country. And Abraham went. Very succinct. Boom, boom. When he said, you know, you're going to split with Lot. And he just, he went. He set down his tent. I mean, always these very rapid fire ways uh, in, in the text, specifically in the Hebrew, that, that Abraham just does it and shows us that example of faith. We see it again, verses 23 to 27. Uh, it says, Then Abram took Ishmael, this is after all this, when he finished speaking with him, just as quickly as God had come down, it says God went up from Abram. He appeared in chapter verse 1, and now he went up. He's all alone. Abram took Ishmael's son, basically you know, circumcised them all. Twice it says, uh, on this very same day, just as God had spoken with him. It says it twice. On this very same day, and then in the middle there, just as God had spoken with him. So he got busy. Again, we see that rapid-fire action that we always see from, from Abraham. Um, and that little phrase there, just as God told him, is really important. I think it's something to, to meditate on. You know? Just as he said to him, God. Just as God said to him. And the image, I think, and the lesson for, for us uh, is very clear. 
And that is that biblical faith is never simply a cerebral exercise only. Okay, there's a time for that. There's a time for the thinking and the discussion and the debating. But it's never just simply a cerebral exercise. What is said and what is thought also needs to be acted upon. Because as we see here, experiences with God will come and go. God came, he appeared, and he went up. And then there's Abraham left to, to contemplate. The cerebral time is over. The experiences with God will come and go, but then you will be left uh, to take action. And, you know, just like circumcision, sometimes your decisions of faith will be irreversible. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. There are times when it's, you need to make an a decision that's that significant that you're not going back. You're not leaving yourself that, that, that place to go back. And moreover, when the message is clear, you do need to carry out the instructions just as God said to you. Too often I think we seek to modify, make a little change, just to make the plan a little bit more palatable, maybe a little more believable. Uh, in a couple weeks we're reading from Exodus chapter 3 in our Torah portion. And you see in there where, where God, uh, Moses has a similar experience with, with God at the burning bush. And God tells him all of these things. You're going to go and you're, gonna, you're going to you know, rescue the people. You know that Moses kind of gave him, didn't necessarily fall down the lap, but he did some negotiation back and forth. And, I can't, I can't, and you know, God give him all the tools he needs to. And then ultimately, Moses goes back to his father-in-law Jethro. He bursts in the door and says, I'm going to go rescue the Israelites. No, he says, uh, I need to go to Egypt. I need to check and see if they're okay. He kind of says it that way, you know. But God had said to go free him. He didn't want his plan modified. And it's the same here. Believers throughout the ages have struggled with this. We struggle as well. Even when God's, uh, you know, blessings are potentially so great and His message is clear, we, we find ourselves resistant sometimes to the most basic uh, instructions, those minimal standards, and we want to, let me just, let me just let me a little twist on this and change it a little, a little bit, make it a little more easy for me to believe, and so forth. And the fact is, is that whether obstacles are large or small, um, we see throughout, and the same, same in this chapter as we see in, in the, with Moses, um, is that God has provided more than enough to overcome what are often just these small obstacles, whether they seem large or small to us, they're all small to him. And Abraham's experiences teach us that, among other things, uh, that natural law, this is a hard one, natural law is no barrier to his plans and purposes. Whether that's, you know, we've seen throughout these, these narratives, whether that's barrenness, been throughout, whether it's been being outnumbered in battle, none of those things really are mattered, you know, they never, never have mattered. Because a miracle just can't be scientifically analyzed, it can't be figured out beforehand, that's for sure. We like to figure things out beforehand to see how that'll work. That's why when we're weighing those options on the plans or the, the spouse or the job, and we don't necessarily see the one, you know, it's the harder one we want to go with the stuff we can see. Because you can't figure out the miracle one ahead of time, you know. And for this reason, God asked Abraham, as he asks us, simply to believe, and that he rewards faith with this great blessing, and that he desires to do that. And so we've seen thus far in the Abraham narrative that, that Abraham, again, certainly certainly has his, his spiritual lapses, um, but they were usually brief. They're usually brief. And they're usually followed by 
by the definitive steps of faith, and then they're usually followed by, um, by, by let's say, victory. But that, that uh, I think all of that vindicates his inclusion into Hebrews chapter 11 as a hero of the faith, and someone whose faith can be emulated to the best that we can see, but certainly be held on to, to, to believe, you know. And sure, we see we see missteps, we see doubts, but we don't see what we don't see is Abraham ever really just again digging in and saying, "I'm not gonna, not gonna do that." He can sort of fall down and laugh. He can he can even circumvent and work around sometimes. We never see that digging in and uh, and resisting God's plans and promises. And he may not have understood the natural processes by which all of God's promises will be fulfilled, and neither will will we. Most likely. But like Abraham, we also need to be, uh, as Paul tells us in Romans 4, when you read the description of this uh, interpretation in Romans 4, he said that we also need to be uh, fully assured that what he has promised, he is able to perform. So let's pray. We do thank you, Lord, for, for giving us what we need to be blameless in your sight and to be able to walk in front of you just as we are. And that is Yeshua and His sacrifice, Lord, and our belief in Him. We thank you for that. We thank you for giving us the assurance to know that, that who you have made us and how you have made us is sufficient for us to receive your desire and your blessing. We pray, Lord, for your help. We pray that you would help us to continue to walk before you with all of that confidence that we have in these things, Lord. We ask that you help us to hear the specificity of your voice, that it would come to us, Lord, that in the meantime we would have the faith to follow you until we hear that specific leading of yours, Lord. And we ask that you would help us to, to follow that leading of your Spirit and to do things just as you said, exactly as you tell us, Lord. And it's in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.